Luke 22 and verse 24. I'll read it and then we'll pray. It says, Then a dispute arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them have called themselves benefactors. It is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, we, we thank you that uh, we can hold your word here. And Lord, we know it's powerful enough to reach into all areas of our world. Thank you for the testimony uh, of, of your goodness in Honduras amongst our brothers and sisters there. I thank you for the heart of this church to support them. I thank you that you do bring Pastor Alvin here uh, to spend time with us, uh, to be a blessing to us, uh, and, and so that we can hear more about what you're doing around the world. As we open your word today, I pray you open our eyes to the wonders of it, and God encourage us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't normally title my sermons. It's just the text, right? If I was going to title this one, I would title it, You're Not That Great. You're Not That Great. I was at work the other day, and a guy I know walked past my office, and he calls me Big Dog. <laughs> I know what you're thinking, right? That is one of the best fitting nicknames for a person I've ever heard of in my life. He's like, what's up, Big Dog? <laughs> he said, Big Dog, do you ever wake up in the morning and just bark a couple times just to let them know you're the Big Dog? And I said, well, if I have to let them know, am I really the big dog? He said, that's big dog wisdom right there. <laughs> and then like most people do, if they're talking to a preacher or somebody they know as a pastor, he said, that's kind of like, if you have to tell people you're a Christian, are you really a Christian? Shouldn't they know? I was like, see, there you go. So what you have here in Luke 22 are the disciples barking pretty loud, trying to be the big dog. And, and this passage is just another example of why I love teaching through a book of the Bible, because this is one that normally I probably would have just read, read through pretty quickly and went on to the next thing, because this is surrounded by a lot of big stuff. There's a lot of big stuff going on in Luke 22. Right. If this was a TV show, then we would be getting close to the season finale. Right. We talked about last week the, the chief priests and the scribes were looking to kill Jesus. And one of his own disciples, one of the one of the twelve is looking for an opportunity to betray him to those who want to murder him. 
And then they have the Passover. They celebrate the Passover together. And Jesus dives down into like the, the truth of what the Passover really represents and how it's going to be the establishment. This meal is going to be the establishment or the beginning of the new covenant. He said, this is the new covenant, you know, that's going to be. Uh, uh, new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You know, he takes the bread, said, this is my body. Take and eat. This is, you know, takes the cup. This is my blood. Take and drink. So there's some huge things going on. And we know when he gets up from here and they go out, he's going to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be betrayed. And then we get into Passion Week and the crucifixion and the resurrection. So there's a lot of really big things going on. He's even sitting at the table with the guys. Again, if this was a TV show, this would be a pretty big moment. He would say, one of you is going to betray, one of you is going to betray me. My betrayer is at this table with me right now. His hands are on this table with my hands. And it would be like, boom, boom, boom. Like this is when we find out like who the betrayer is going to be. And they even start arguing with one another. Like, it's probably going to be you. Like, oh, shut up. It's probably going to be you. Everybody's been watching you. Right. They're arguing with each other. So this is fit right in there with all of that going on. And so it would be real easy to go past it. But I love the opportunity to get to sit and just chew on it uh, for, for a week and get ready to share with you. Because after all of that happens, it sounds like a great dinner party. Right. We got a betrayer. We got them arguing with each other. It says another argument breaks out. And then that's the one we're going to focus on today in verse 24. A dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. And now dispute is a real deal argument. It's where everybody's just a little bit too worked up, you know, where you're just taking it a little bit too seriously. That word uh, means that it's something you're eager to contend about. Right. I, I'm ready to talk about this. I brought my examples. I have time to discuss this today and I'm going to tell you why I'm right and you're wrong. Right. That, that's what that word just, that, that they're disputing, that they're arguing about this means. And so what are they disputing? Who's the greatest? Who among us, among these disciples who are there at the Passover, should be considered the greatest. And again, that word is filled with a lot of meaning. It's not just, you know, who, who's the best disciple. It's like, who is the best? Who's the biggest? Who's the awesomest? Who's the most splendid person in this group? So you can almost picture, because these are just dudes, right? We can read this, and Tim and I were talking last week, or week before last, you know, we can read through some of this like it's a parable, like it's just an isolated uh, event happening in the place of a story. But these are real people. So you can picture some of these arguments when they're trying to decide who's the greatest, right? Maybe one says, well, who was the one that got to sit by Jesus at the last two Passovers? Hmm? It was me. Maybe another one says, what about when he sent us out in groups of two and me and James went to Galilee and there was a guy there with a demon and the demon was like, ah, and we were like, what? The demon was like, ah, and we were like, no. And then he left. What about that? Hmm. And then Peter speaks up and says, boys walked on water. Any of y'all walk on water? And then one of them says, yeah, and you sank too. You sank like a stone. Jesus had to pick you up out of the water. You almost drowned. You were crying. There was water in my eyes. I told you that. There was water in my eyes. 
This is what it's going to go like. Why? Because it's a group of men just arguing about who's the greatest. This is what they would have been doing. Just a group of dudes. Everybody thought it should have been them. And then maybe, you know, if it keeps going, what happens? Some of them realize, well, obviously it can't be me because yeah, I've done this and this. So I'll just back this guy. And then we just each start backing a guy, right? This is what we do. Why were they worried about who was the greatest? Because that's what we do. That's what we do as people. We're worried about wondering, trying to be the greatest or at least trying to be associated with the greatest. We want to be the best or at least we want to be on the best team. Right. We just finished up with the Super Bowl. We're going into NCAA tournament and March Madness basketball, college basketball. <laughs> For some of y'all uh, college basketball. What's it about? Whose team's the best? Whose team is going to win it all? I want my team to be the best. Why? Because if I support the best team, well, then what does that say about me? My team's the best. We don't know how that feels as Razorback fans. <laughs> we want to be the greatest. They were arguing about who was the greatest. Again, who, the, the biggest, the best. We want that. Yeah, man, we did lose yesterday. Thanks for bringing it up, Sherry. <laughs> Yeah, we, we won't lose today because we lost yesterday. But that, that's what we want. We want to be the best. We want to be identified with the best. That's what we want as people, whether it's our opinion on a, on a certain issue, whether it's our position on a certain thing. We're ready to tell you why ours is right and that yours is wrong. Right. We want, we want to do that to form who we are because that we, we want to have an identity that if it's not the best, it's at least associated with the best. Well, that's who I am. I'm the one who's the best at this. Or I'm the one who is with the one that is the best at this. I, was re I read a book recently called The Vertical Self by a guy named Mark Sayers. He's from Australia. And one of the quotes in there that he had was never before in the history of mankind have we spent so much time and energy trying to look good. Never before in history of all mankind have we spent this much time and energy trying to make ourselves look good. Why would we do that? Because we're attracted to greatness. We're enamored with it because we want to be identified with it. Because if I'm identified with greatness, then that means that I'm at least okay. Right? When you talk about that word for, for greatness, again, it meant the biggest, the best, the strongest, the top, the big dog. The big dog. And what, what, what do I get when I'm in that position? If I'm great, I'm big enough that no, nobody can hurt me. That nothing can hurt me. And if I'm the best, that means that no one can question me. It means that at least I'm okay. And see, some of us, and, and, and in culture, you, you, you see it, we go, well, I'm not going to make greatness on this path. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to veer off and I'm going to take this other one that nobody's ever taken before, right? But then there's a bunch of other people on it too. And, and then their path to greatness is, well, we're not like these people, I'm not like them. We're, we're great because we're not like them. We're, we're different. We don't have to be. But what are we doing? We're all searching for 
that greatness. We're creating this thing, trying to be unique and trying to be great. It's what we do. But there's a problem. There's a big problem. The more we pursue this greatness, and again, I don't have time to unpack that word every time we say it, so we just know what we mean when we say greatness. When we pursue greatness, it pushes our life to a point of magnification. I'm magnifying myself, right? Which, what is it, making it bigger? Or like putting it under a microscope. What happens when you put something under a microscope? You can see it more clearly. You can see the imperfections. You can see the problems, right? So the more I push towards greatness, the more I see the parts of me that aren't great. It's easier to notice my weaknesses and my insecurities. And then the progression there is we start to notice in other people the positive attributes that maybe we don't have. Maybe they have a positive attribute that, that we don't have. And so then there's the question of, well, how can I be great if I, if I'm, if I can't you know, fill in the blank like so-and-so? How can I be great if I'm not able to, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank like so-and-so? And so individually, and we see it culturally, we can become paralyzed by knowing who we're not and having no idea who we actually are. We just get frozen by all the things we know that we're not and ignorant to who we actually are. And the disciples are stuck in this same greatness trap. They're disputing with each other, again, contending with one another, probably saying, hey, if Jesus leaves like he says he's going to, if all this happens like he says is going to happen, who's going to be the next big dog? Who's going to take his place? Who's going to be the one that's in charge? Well, it should probably be me, right? This is what they're arguing about. They want the, that position and the identity that comes with it, the purpose that comes with it. They want to be great because they want it to insulate them and protect them and to keep them. That's what they want. It's what we want. And what was Jesus' response to them? What was Jesus' response to them wanting this type of greatness? His response was, guys, you're not that great. You're not that great. And look at, look at verse 25. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them have called themselves benefactors. That was a reference to the, to the kings of the Gentiles. The benefactor part was the Syrians. That's what they called their uh, royalty. They were our, our benefactors. He said they lord it over them, but then he says it's not to be like that among you. So when he says you're not, when I say you're not that great, you're not that type of great. The type of great that you're aiming for, that you think that you want, that's not the greatness that is for you. That's not where you should be headed and that's not where you should be focused because what those leaders do, those that attain that level of greatness that you're aspiring to, they lord it over those that are under them. They have all this power and they have all this influence and how do they keep it? They have to keep it by what? Force. Again, what we really want when we want to be great is we want to be accepted. We want to be insulated. We want to be safe. We want to be powerful. And that all means we want to be in control 
of our life and everything around it. We want to be in control because we know what it feels like to not be in control. So we want to be in control. Jesus says you're, you're not that type of great. What you're aiming for is the wrong thing. Don't let it be like that among you. Verse 26, the first part, he said, it's not to be like that among you. You're not that type of great. You're not great like you think you need to be great. Or in other words, you're defining greatness like the world defines greatness. You're defining greatness like those kings of the earth have defined greatness, but you aren't called to be like them. Look what he says in the rest of verse 26. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest and whoever leads like the one serving. It shouldn't be like that among you. He's saying this is meant to set you apart. You won't be like them. You won't treat life like they treat life. You shouldn't treat others like they treat others. He's calling them away from trying to be great like the world defines greatness and calling them into a new kind of greatness in the kingdom. What would what will be true greatness? Look at what he says in verse 27. He says, for who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So he goes to an example that they'll all understand. He's like, who's, who's greater? The one who's serving the people sitting at the table or the ones who are sitting at the table? Because, right, the servants, especially for them, their culture would have been less. Because if they had been equal, they would have been sitting at the table being served by somebody else. He's like, who, who, who's greater? The ones that are sitting at the table or the ones that are being served? And their mind would have immediately said the one sitting at the table. This is the kind of things that they argued about. Where am I going to sit at the table? Am I going to sit at the position of honor or am I going to have to sit at the dishonorable position at the end of the table? So he asks them and their mind immediately answers. And then he follows up. He says, but here I am. I could sit at the head of the table, but I choose to serve you instead. So he kills their argument totally. Right. Because he's like, y'all arguing about who's the greatest. I mean, Jesus right here. He said, but look what I'm doing. This is what I want you to do. This is what's going to set you apart. You won't treat life like they treat life, like those great ones treat life. You won't treat others like they treat others. Don't keep looking at them. Look at me. He's saying, don't look at them. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Again, they were trying to develop their sense of self and their sense of greatness by looking around at others. And Jesus is trying to redirect their vision and say, no, 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 no. It's not going to be like that with you. Watch what I'm doing. And then he tells them that he served in humility. He didn't have to. He didn't have to be humble, but he chose to be. Philippians 2 in verse 5 says, adopt the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. That though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. And instead emptied himself, assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And as a man, he humbled himself. 
again, he goes to the question. He's like, who's greater, the one sitting at the table or the one serving? And again, we know by their definition what they were seeking as far as worldly greatness, it would have been the one at the table. He said, and yet I serve. I'm among you as one who serves. Going back to that idea of y'all are after that type of great. You're not that type of great. And you don't want to be that type of great. He said, let it not be like that among you. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that other type of great compared to what Jesus is talking about. He, he, he is putting forth greatness through service and humility with others. And then this other one is, is pride and force and control. So you got that great versus what Jesus is preaching. And again, he tells them this isn't for you. And really, you don't want it because the worst part about this type of greatness, the, the type of greatness that y'all think you want to be, the type that I'm warning you against, the worst part about this type of greatness, the world's greatness is loneliness. Loneliness in our quest for worldly greatness, we fall into terrible and isolating loneliness. And it can be devastating. Loneliness because we can't ever be real. And we can't ever trust that anyone else is being real. Can you imagine what it's like to be one of the real big dogs? Right? What it's like to, what it's like to live as one of these big celebrities or billionaires that, that we admire and we just look at and we go, man, wouldn't that be awesome? Would it? If you didn't even know if your spouse loved you for you. If your kids loved you for who you were and not just what they had because they were related to you. Not to even mention friends. How could you ever trust a friend, even old friends, even ones that had been around for a while? How could you ever trust that anyone was being real? And how could you ever feel like you could be real with anybody else? Because, you know, I got this image I've got to keep up. I've got this attitude that got me here. I've got to keep this up. Does anybody really even love me for who I am? Does anybody really even know me for who I am? And that's why you see them falling into this deep pit of loneliness and it can be agony. Why? Because pride hides all the weak spots. It has to. Because if they see it, then I won't be the greatest anymore. Right? Pride has to hide its weak spots from others. And then also even from myself. I'll hide them even from me. When we seek the kind of greatness that the world prescribes, the type that the disciples were arguing about, we're handing over our validation to others. And if I'm wanting others to validate me, then I have to make sure that others don't know me. <laughs> or I won't be validated, right? And so that results in terrible, terrible loneliness. I was re I'm reading a book right now, and it talked about uh, a scientific experiment 
that was just like one of the best examples of loneliness I've read in a while. Because it's kind of an abstract term. It can be a weird term. And, and so these scientists created this little scenario for the experiment. It was really simple. It's a group of people, not too big, but also not, not too small, a group of people. And they said, what you're going to do is we're going to give you a ball, one ball for all these people, and you're just going to play catch. You're just going to toss it around, just kind of randomly amongst this group of people. You know, like you would at a barbecue or something like that. You're tossing around, just trying to keep it going. Keep it up in the air. But the one little thing about this experiment that they didn't tell everybody was that there was one person, one girl, that was never going to get the ball. And they didn't tell her that. They told everybody else, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, but don't ever throw it to this girl. And they told her, we're going to throw the ball, it's what we're going to do. Didn't tell her she's never going to get it. So just imagine what it would feel like to be her in that scenario. You know, people are just, you know, ran, throwing the ball, kind of, hey, this is fun, yeah, all right. They're just laughing and smiling and giggling, because who's not having fun when you're throwing a ball around? And it goes around, you know, a few times, it's here and there, and she's kind of like, oh, maybe that's, no, no, it's not coming to me. You know, she's kind of smiling, and then after a little while, it starts to get a little bit weird, right? I think I'm the only one who hasn't caught it yet. And it looks like, I mean, that, yeah, she caught it three times. I hadn't got to catch it yet. So you kind of move around a little bit. Maybe they just don't notice me. Maybe I'll just sit by, you know, make myself a little bit more visible. Maybe they'll throw it my way. And then over and over, keep missing you. Keep avoiding you. Keep throwing it to somebody else. Your smile starts to get harder to keep on your face then, doesn't it? Kind of like, oh, well, well, well. And after a while, it gets downright agonizing, wouldn't it? It'd be hard to still be there. And then you have to kind of act like you're not really even playing. Right? You just kind of start kind of backing up. Your hands aren't down. Like, you're not, I'm not really ready to catch it. And then it turns into what? I, I didn't really want to play anyway. And, and you would think that it would just be related to that game, right? That that person would come away and be like, those people I were playing with were a bunch of jerks. They just left me out of it. But then they, they asked her questions after, like big questions, things about life, you know, the meaning of life, the purpose of life. And her answers, based on, you know, questions that had been asked before the experiment and after the experiment, were drastically different. As far as, as bad as, you know, there's not much purpose in life. There's not much meaning in life. And so you can see even that experiment shows you that we have this deep and abiding need and that if it's missing, it's terribly, terribly painful. It shows you how crushing loneliness can be. And ironically, we're not alone in feeling lonely, right? Surveys are showing that that, that feeling in the heart of people is just rising through the roof as we continue on in, in culture and all these progressive things, all these great things that, that are going on, technology and all that stuff. And, and we're the loneliest that we've ever been because we're chasing greatness the way the world has defined it. And it always results in loneliness because you have to be fake. And fake people don't have real friends. 
Fake people don't have real friends. And with that in mind, we understand why Jesus is saying, you're not that type of great. Stop chasing that type of greatness. That's what the world chases. That's what they do. You're different. Your greatness is going to look different. Serve. Be humble. Their greatness results in loneliness. And he's calling us to the opposite. The other type of greatness. Humility. Kingdom greatness. Chosen service. If this one produces loneliness, then this one produces what's the opposite of loneliness? Maybe. That's a good one. I've been chewing on that for like a week because I read an essay and I'll read you a quote from it. You know, the opposite of happy, sad. The opposite of uh, hungry, full, right? You, you've got these, op- what's the opposite of loneliness? Because loneliness is that deep felt emotion. What's the opposite of it? There's a, an essay that was written by a young lady named Marina Keegan. And she was a, a Yale graduate. She ended up dying tragically a few days after she graduated. And some of the essays that she wrote, they published them in a book. And one of the things that she said, when I started thinking about that opposite of loneliness, she said, we don't have a word for the opposite of loneliness. But if we did, I could say that that's what I want in life. What I'm grateful to have found at Yale and what I'm scared of losing when we wake up tomorrow and leave this place. It's not quite love and it's not quite community. It's just this feeling that there are people, an abundance of people who are in this together, who are on your team. When the check is paid and you stay at the table. Right. You just contrast those two from the experiment where the girl never got the ball thrown to her to what this young lady wrote about the opposite of loneliness. She's like, I don't know what to call it, but I know what it feels like. When there's people and and a bunch of people that are on your team that are for you who are in this together, when the check is paid at the restaurant, yet you still sit at the table, you don't hurry off to leave. If the world's type of greatness brings loneliness, then the kingdom type of greatness brings the opposite of loneliness. Remember, Jesus said you're not great like they're great and you don't want to be. You don't you're not wired like that. They're not even wired like that to enjoy that greatness. His definition of great is clothed in humility and produces that opposite of loneliness. Why? Because humility bids others to come close. It's a community that brings others close. Why? Because you're, you're real about who you are when they first get there. It's truthful and it's genuine. Again, the greatest in the world, as the world knows greatness, are the loneliest. And you can count on that. That is 100. They just are. You don't believe it? Ask them. Listen to them. When, when, when they start talking about it, which is usually when they've started to fall from greatness, then they start being honest. And they tell you how lonely it was. 
But humility in the likeness of Jesus Christ, serving like he came to serve, that's where we find true community. And we know that, right? Whatever the opposite of loneliness is, that's what we find in the body of Christ. And then Jesus, he, he closes this little part in verse 29 after he says, you know, it, won't, it doesn't need to be like that among you. Who's greater, the one at the table or the one who serves? He says, isn't the one at the table, but look at me, I'm serving. And then he says, you are those who stood by me in my trials. And I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He said, you stood with me in my trials. So his humility kept them close. He wasn't lonely because he was walking in humility. And, and I love what, what he closes with. He's like, you're chasing that type of greatness. You're not that type of great. But you're greater than you've ever imagined. He tells them, I'm going to bestow on you the kingdom that my father's bestowed on me. You're going to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you're going to sit on thrones of authority. He said, y'all ain't thought about that. Y'all are worried about who's going to sit at the table next year at Passover. He said, there's something coming on the other side of this that you've yet to even imagine. You're not great like you think you are, but you're greater than you've ever thought you could be. That was his punchline. They were trying to bring the world's definition of greatness into the kingdom. And he's teaching them to take the kingdom definition of greatness into the world. They wanted to bring in the way the world did things into the kingdom. And he's like, no, 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 no. We're taking the kingdom way of doing things out into the world. Freeing those who have been slaves to that system who have been suffering in loneliness and introducing them to true community and even true humanity, what people are supposed to be and not chasing this prideful deception. He said, don't, don't want to be like them and for sure don't try. He said, this is what they do. That's not what you need to do. Let this be a difference among you that you're not like them, but that you do it like I have done it, that you serve in humility. Because, again, who who feels out of place around a servant? Nobody. Every, that's right. Everybody feels comfortable around somebody who's just serving. Well, he doesn't think he's he's better than anybody here. He didn't talk like he's he's better than anybody here. He told me about something he was. You know, dealing with just last week, he, he, he admits he's not perfect. He's not trying to lord that over me. There's a community there and there's a closeness that comes from humility that pride hides away and results in loneliness. Jesus knew who he was. Again, the greatest one, not just in that room, but in any room ever. That's basically what I believe he was telling them. He said, I could sit at the head of any table I want to sit at, but what am I choosing to do? Serve, do what I did. Amen. Amen. Because that's what will knit us together. He said, you're the ones that stood beside me in my trials. Everything that's gone on. He said, y'all haven't run off. 
And it's interesting that he connected those two. He said, I'm serving you in humility and it's, it, it, it's tied you to me so that even when we've gone through tough stuff, you didn't leave. And, and that's what seeking greatness in his kingdom will do. It'll knit us together, hold us together, even through trials until we sit at his table in his kingdom to eat and drink with him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for shining a light for us on how life really works. Forgive us for chasing greatness as the world defines greatness. Whether it's trying to get to the top of the mountain or just being the best at being alternative from the people who are at the top of the mountain. Whatever our path is in this worldly greatness chase, God, we know it ends in loneliness and pain. We know what it feels like to be the one on the outside of the group that never gets the ball thrown to them. I thank you that it won't be that way with us. That we hear from you clearly and directly in this passage how we're supposed to chase greatness. And that's in your kingdom through humility and through serving. Jesus, you were the greatest in that room and in any room, and yet you chose to serve. Let the same attitude be in us. That our life in God and our likeness to you is not something to be exploited, but something that we take and use to serve. And in that service, you knit us together. That we're not fake people without real friends, but we're real people in real community following you together. And I thank you for the the sobering reminder that we're not meant to be that type of great, that worldly type of great, but that there is in our future a greatness and a glory that we couldn't even imagine that we'll sit down with you at your table in your kingdom and eat and drink. And I thank you, Lord, that just like I said, you, we, they were with you through many trials. We'll be together through many trials. Kept together by the humility that we learn from our servant King Jesus. Lord, as we go today, I thank you that you bless your people. Keep us safe. Lord, those that are with us from at a distance, I thank you, Lord, you're with them right where they are. You know what we need today. And I thank you that you provide us our daily bread as only you can. As we go today, I thank you we leave in peace and unity together with each other. God, give us opportunities to serve. Give us moments where we see where we've been chasing that worldly greatness, even in our own mind, even in our own uh, dreams and intentions that we've been seeking the wrong thing and realign us, reorient us to the ways of the kingdom because you're better. And God, thank you that together we can enjoy in your kingdom the complete opposite of loneliness. What a blessing and a freedom it is to know you and be known by you and each other. In Jesus' name, amen.